Well, good morning, Grace Redeemer. We're going to be taking a little bit of a detour, I think. You guys have been walking through the book of Ephesians for a number of, of weeks and months now. We're not going to be in that book this morning, but I think, it, I think it connects a little bit because in the book of Ephesians, right where the, the book kind of has its hinge point, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, the start to what I would say is kind of the, the instructional heavy part of the book, this is what Paul says. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And, and then he goes on and he, he, he covers topics like anger and our speech and greed, very practical things. And I wonder if this morning we could add to that list the topic of worry. What do we do when worry starts to creep in? And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I, I, I tend to worry about a lot of things. Just ask my wife. Uh, I worry about big things. Something happening to our children right on the way up. Will we get in an accident? I worry about little things. You know, I, I worry about trivial things that you might think are, are, are silly. Right? We, Liz and I will be out for a date, and, I, and we're running late to the movie, and I'm starting to get anxious. She's like, what are you so anxious about? We don't have children with us anymore. And I'm like, we're not going to make it to the previews, right? And she's like, okay, right? I just, I mean, I can worry about anything. And I wonder if, if, if for you this morning, you actually aren't that different than me. That, that worry it feels like this unwelcome friend who doesn't know when to leave. And so this morning, what Jesus is going to do, we're going to take a break from Ephesians, and we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is going to do two things that I think are just so helpful when it comes to worry and when, and when worry starts to feel like it takes over in life. Here's the two things he's going to do. I, I included a little half sheet. I'm kind of low tech, and so there's not really a slideshow, but there's one of these you can follow along with. Two things he does. First... He's going to show us the, the, the heart behind worry. What is it that actually causes worry? Right? Because if you can get to the place where the epidemic started, there's a chance that you might find a cure. So he's going to start by showing us the heart, but then what he's going to do if we understand that, he's actually going to offer us, I would say, kind of a battle plan, really, a, a way out of worry. What do we do practically when Monday morning hits or when Sunday at 11 o'clock hits and you're, and you're driving away from church? And you start to feel anxious and you start to get worried. What do you do? That's what Jesus is going to do for us this morning. So if you, if you would, open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. If you, if you need one, there's probably one in the, the seat in front of you. If you're using one of these, it's page 787 in the church pew Bible. Page 787, Matthew chapter 6. Here's what Jesus himself, speaking, has to say about worry. Starting in verse 19. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat and, and what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or sow, store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, not even Solomon, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll look at our passage. God, thank you that, that you've, uh, you've made this day. Uh, let us rejoice in it. And God, I pray that as we come to this place, uh, maybe there are some in this room who, who it's difficult to rejoice and feels just like the weight of, of life and circumstance and relationship just, just has weighed us down. I pray that you would, would help us to remember uh, your character and your promises, that the gospel is true this morning. And, and would that free us more and more from worry as we look at your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing Jesus does in our passage is he, he reveals the heart behind our worry. And, and here's where I'm getting that from. The, the, the passage in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And, and that word, if, if you're kind of new to the Bible, anytime you see the word therefore... In the Bible, your mind should ask this question. What is the therefore? Therefore, right? It's kind of simple, but it, I think it's profound. Because what Jesus is saying is he's assuming that you and I worry. And, and, and to kind of understand why, he's saying you have to understand what just came before it. So we're going to look at verses 19 through 24. And he's going to show us really three reasons I think that you and I tend to worry so much. Here's the first. We worry... We're inclined toward that because we try to store up the wrong kind of treasure. We try to store up the wrong kind of treasure. Notice in verse 19, there are really two kinds of treasure. First, there's this earthly treasure, right? He says that, that moth and vermin or, or, or rust can destroy it. Thieves, they, they tend to break in and steal. It just doesn't last. Maybe a way to think about this is, you know, think about the, uh, think about the Christmas presents you got three years ago. Do you even remember what they were? <laughs> right? And if you can remember what they were, chances are in a, in a number of years or maybe already, they've, they've found their way into your basement, kind of tucked away somewhere or in an attic, or you've given them away to goodwill, or, or they've kind of just started to break down. That's part of what Jesus is saying. Those kind of treasures, they just don't last. Right? Things happen to them. And here's why that matters. Because if you try to make temporary things last forever, it's going to fuel worry every time. It's a lesson in futility. And, and I think that's true of material things. That's true of immaterial things. Right? A number of us, I'm sure, this morning we spent time in front of the mirror. You all look great this morning. That's a good thing, right? We, we spend time at the gym. We, we care about our, our diet and our health. But oftentimes we spend so much time with those things. We make them kind of ultimate things. And we forget that in 10 or, or 20, or if you're a kid here this morning or a teenager, right, eventually your body will start to, to, to break down. And, and it doesn't last. And yet, if you try to put your hope in that, it's going it's to fail you every time. Worry, anxiety, immaterial things. We do that with reputation as well. 
And maybe you're here this morning and you read verses 19 and 20 and you go, okay, I get that, right? I don't want to put my hope in those temporary things, but that doesn't apply to me because I don't need the latest technology, right? You still have the flip phone. Good for you, right? You don't get the shirts that you're wearing, that you're, you've been wearing them since college. It's just 25 years you haven't bought clothes. That's great. But here's the deal. That actually won't free you from worry. Here's why. Jesus, he's not opposed to treasure. Did, did, did you catch that? Verse 20, he actually commands us to store up treasure. Here's the, here's the key. He wants us to store up the right kind of treasure. Look at verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus wants us to pursue treasure. He's all about treasure. He's saying, but make sure your treasure is the right kind. Make sure it's treasure in heaven, eternal treasure. And you go, what is that? Like, is there a bank account that I can somehow, you know, sync up with my direct deposit? What is he talking about? And I think he doesn't explicitly say in this passage, but if you read the, the, the rest of the Gospels and any part of the Bible, you find out pretty quickly there are very few things that last forever. God's glory lasts forever. God's word lasts forever. God's people last forever. And so as you think about your life, ask, ask yourself the question, am I investing in those things? This summer, right, the school year's over and the summer can kind of feel like it doesn't have a rhythm to it and you're like wondering, what, what do I do with my time? Do you have a plan to grow in godliness? If you are a Christian this morning, do you have a plan to get into God's word or do you, just, do you kind of just wing it and just hope it happens? Do you actively pursue that treasure? Do you invest in people outside of a Sunday morning? That's the kind of treasure that Jesus is talking about. And I would say, if you're not a Christian this morning, it's great that you're here. Thanks for coming. But have you ever considered that you are an eternal being created in the image of God and that after 80 years or so on this earth, life actually continues on and it matters what you do here with this life and how you answer the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? How am I going to think about him? So Jesus is saying, are we storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven? Where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. That's the first reason Jesus says we often worry so much, trying to make temporary things last forever. Here's the second reason. Here's the second reason. Look at verse 21. He takes this idea of treasure even deeper. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's basically saying what, 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 what you spend time doing, where you invest your money. If somebody were to look at your checkbook, or they were to, to look at your browsing history on your computer, what would they find? What would it say of your life? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And then he continues on, he says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that there's a connection between what we look at with our physical eyes, like what you're seeing right now or what you look at throughout the week, and, 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 the, and the state of our heart, our, our emotion and our spirit, it affects us. And that's, that's the second reason we worry. We, we tend to cultivate unhealthy affections with our eyes. I remember learning this a couple years back. Liz and I were uh, newly married, and we were renting an apartment before we had bought a home a couple years later. And life was good, right? We, we had a roof over our head. We had heat. We had the Internet. We even had air conditioning. I think Life was good. And I remember it was uh, on a Wednesday night, because we would have date night. We wouldn't go to campus, uh, and, and, and the students on Wednesday. And I, I had this idea. I said, it'd be so fun just to kind of look at the different homes in the area. 
we're renting right now. Maybe one day we'll, we'll be in a home. And, uh, and it was kind of an innocent, you know, question. And so I hopped on Zillow. That's the website that we use for homes, right? You hop on, look at all the homes in the area. And pretty quickly what happened was you start to imagine yourself in these different homes. You're like, oh, what if we raised a family in that home? Or what if we were next to this park? Or what if we, you know, were this cl- closer to campus? But what happened was that it was, it was kind of sad. Over time, as we started to look at all these different houses, we'd even drive up to these neighborhoods and kind of park on the street and kind of not look too creepy, hopefully, and just kind of be like, you know, what if we were out at that house and, okay, let's drive away now. They're starting, the neighbors are getting kind of weirded out. What happened was that desire, that good desire, it started to mutate almost into this, this worry and this anxiety because we, I started to begin, to, what, what if all the good houses are gone when we go to buy? What if, the more, what if the interest rates have like just skyrocketed and we missed that window? What if, what if? And we, part of the reason I was so worried, I'm just choosing to set my eyes so much on this thing that really this good thing really became a God thing. And see, when good things become God things, they actually become bad things. Because they start to push Jesus out of the central part of our life, which is the only place that he belongs. Worry starts to creep in. What do you tend to set your eyes on? What websites do you spend the most time looking at? Is it just dreaming about the vacation you're going to take and you just find yourself kind of lost in that world? Is it on Facebook? Is it on Instagram? Right? We, we've all been there where we, we see kind of the, you know, the, the pictures of other people and, and they're taking these amazing vacations and they're eating at these, these restaurants and the meal's been you know, made by some professional chef and they've used a great filter to make the picture look perfect and you're like, my life stinks. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying here. When, when we do that, when we set our eyes, worry starts to creep in. We start to put our eyes on ourselves. We forget about the Lord. We forget that what we sang earlier, that he really is a good, good father. We set our eyes, we, cu- we cultivate these affections. That's the second reason that you and I tend to worry so much. We lose sight of Jesus. But here's the third reason that Jesus says. Verse 24, we try to serve more than one master. We try to serve more than one master. Jesus says in verse 24, no one, no one here can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think his point is, is simple enough. You can't serve two masters. You, you can't. Either, either in his illustration, you'll, you'll love God, right? The, the love of Christ will compel you. And, and, and you'll be driven by, by wanting to tell people about Christ, by making decisions that honor Christ, by spending your, your time in such a way that, that, that pleases Christ. And you really won't have a, a care about money. It's not that it's not important, but it won't have a hold on you. Or, he says, you'll, you'll love money. The love of money will compel you. And you'll, you'll spend the, the waking hours thinking about how can I save and make and spend the next dollar and I just need to, 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 to be a little more secure and I need to make a little more and I need to buy just a little more. And the love of Christ will start to go by the wayside. But you can't serve both. And I think you could fill in that blank with God and money. You could fill in money with, with anything else, reputation and status, even our children, right? The things that we, we try to, Find our identity in. And Jesus says, when we try to make those things our master, here's the saddest part, none of those masters deliver. Because none of them can. Only Christ delivers. Only Christ is the good master. Only it's him that, that it's pleasing and satisfying to follow. And so these, these other masters, they overpromise all the time. And they underdeliver. And they let us down. 
And then we wonder, why, why, why am I so anxious? Why am I so worried? Why am I so fearful? Well, it's because we've, we've stopped following Jesus and we've started following something else. You can't serve two masters. Which is why I think that the way out of worry as we transition into some of the more practical things of this passage is that he, Jesus is saying, see me as your greatest treasure. Set your eyes on Jesus. Humble yourself and call him master. And if you, you walk back through the passage, those, those first three subpoints, think about Jesus' life. Think about his ministry. Think about who he is. Jesus gave up his treasure. He left heaven. Why? So that you, so that me, who, who are poor in spirit, might become rich. Might know what it means to have God as our Father, to be saved, to be forgiven. To have an eternity that, that's, that's unspoilable, that can't, that can't leave. He gave up his treasure. Jesus lost the affection of the Father. He set his affection constantly on what God wanted, on his Father, what pleased him. So that you and I, who have, who have walked away from God, might one day experience the affection of God. Might know that we are, we are sons and daughters of the King, who he is well pleased with. That's what Jesus did as he gave up the affection of God and, and bore God's wrath. And Jesus, think about it, he is the master. But he humbled himself. And he became a servant, even to death on a cross, Philippians 2 says. Why? So that you and I, who are actually servants, but who act like we're masters, might one day be brought into the family of God. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus, he's done the work for us. And think about it like this, friends. If, if Jesus has dealt with our greatest problem, the one thing we should actually worry about, our, our sin and the wrath of God, if he has dealt with that on the cross, he has said, I, I have removed that from you, the only thing that could actually undo you and made a way for us out of it, then why do we, why do we doubt that God will provide for us in all the lesser things? God has already dealt with our biggest problem. And if that means something this morning, if you read verses 19 through 24 and you go, yes, that is such a breath of fresh air, I need to know that again. Then this next kind of section of the, 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 the sermon this morning, verses 25 through, through the end, it will actually mean something to you. But I would say this, if, if you go, I'm not, I'm not quite sure I'm bought into that. I don't know if I see Jesus that way. I want to know more of him. I, I would encourage you this, this morning after the service, maybe during the, the social hour, after, talk to somebody. I'd love to talk to you to help you to see Jesus as the greatest treasure. That's who Jesus is. And, the, and so as he continues, he highlights, I think for us, really six ways, very practically, that we can start to fight worry to more and more free ourselves from worry when it comes. If you want to fill them in, if that's helpful, here's the first. He says we need to expand our vision for life. Expand your vision for life. Look at verse 25. Jesus asks a rhetorical question. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And, and of course it's more important than food and clothes. But what he's saying is this. If you want to start to kill worry, if you want to start to, to, to flee worry and, and, and be more and more free from it, you need to have a bigger picture of life. You need to see life as God sees life. Right? So that eternal treasure, right? If, if, if you're the kind of person who's always you know, checking the market and you're, you're checking your 401k balance, and oh no, it went up and it went down, and, and I'm, you know, I, what does that look like to expand your vision for life? Start to invest in people. Find ministries in this church and outside of this church where you can get involved and, and go to homes and, and centers where you can invest in eternal people and love them and, and give to them and, and tell them about Jesus and tell them why you've been impacted by the love of Jesus. And as you do that, what happens is you start to actually become less and less held by 
your 401k balance because you're more concerned about how people are doing with the Lord. Or if you're concerned with reputation, you're always wondering, what do other people think of me? And does this person like me? And what if this person says something bad about If that kind of has a hold on you, here's, here's a way that, that I've found at least that I think starts to kill that. As you expand your vision for life, take a risk. Tell them about Jesus. Share your testimony with them. Invite them to a, a small group or a Bible study because one of two things will happen. If reputation is your treasure, one of two things, as you start to, to tell people about Jesus, whether that's a neighbor or extended family or coworker, either you'll invite them to a Bible study and they'll just give you weird looks. You'll be like, what? <laughs> In which case, rejoice. Rejoice because you are, 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 are a person that God is well pleased with and it's an honor to be persecuted for the name of Christ. You see that all in the book of Acts. Or number two, if, if you ask them and they actually say yes, then rejoice because you might be the person that God is using to introduce them to Jesus. But either way, as you take a risk, God will start to, to, to decrease the hold that your reputation has on you. Start to expand your vision for life. A, a missionary in the, the, the mid-1900s, Jim Elliott, put it this way. He was a, he was a missionary, I think, to Ecuador. He, he actually lost his life trying to reach people for Jesus. But here's what he said before he died. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about that. He is no fool who, who gives up what he can't keep anyway. His time, his money, his reputation to gain that which he cannot lose, that God has already given him in Christ. Expand your vision for life. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Understand how valuable you are to God. Understand how valuable you are to God. I'm getting this from verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus says today, if, if you want to be godly, if you want to kind of put God's word into practice, when you walk out of this building, assuming your kids aren't running into the parking lot, take a minute, look up in the sky, and look at the birds. People might think you're insane. Look at the birds. Why? Because what you'll learn is that God takes care of birds. He provides food for them. He provides shelter for them. They don't have a 401K. They don't have an IRA. God takes care of them. And here's the connection to us. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, of course you are more valuable than birds. In fact, if you want two reasons, here's the first. The first chapter in, in the Bible, the book of Genesis, God actually held a special planning meeting to create you, to create me. He said, let us let us create man in our image. In other words, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they said, let's do something with, with mankind. Let's, let's, let's imprint upon them our, our image, our likeness, so that they are more like us than any other part of creation. They are special. And he highlights them. And he highlights us. We are valuable to God. And you go, okay, I don't always feel valuable to God. I guess so. Here's the greatest proof. That Christ shed his blood for you. That he bankrupted heaven. He spent the, the most valuable thing to secure your soul. And you and I know this, that you and I, whenever we, sit, whenever we have something valuable, we always take good care of it. We, we, we take out insurance for it. We put things around it. That's why if you have an iPhone or, or some kind of, maybe lesser phone, no, okay. If you have some kind of iPhone, right, some kind of smartphone, it's why you put a case around it, right? Because it's expensive and you don't want it to drop in the screen to shatter. You protect it. You make sure that it, 
It's okay. And God does the same thing with us. That he's paid for us. He spilled his blood for us, and so he will see us through. He values us. Jesus is the proof. Understand how valuable you are to God. But here's the third thing he says. See the worthlessness of worry. See the worthlessness of worry. Verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You know, sometimes Bible passages are kind of hard to understand. This one is very clear, this verse. He says, worrying actually does nothing beneficial for you. You don't even get to add an hour to your life when you worry. It's kind of like a rocking chair, right? You just, you're doing a lot of things, but you're going nowhere. That's what worry is, right? You think you're controlling things, and you're, but it's a facade. God alone is in control. Remember back when I was in, in sixth grade, I, I played soccer all grown up from, you know, like age five. And sixth grade, I had the chance to go out for the, the JV soccer team. And we were sitting around our lunch table, uh, my friends and I, and we were all like, you're going to go out today? You're going to try out, you know, after, after school? And they're yeah, yeah, yeah. And I overheard at the next table the popular guys in school that they were going to try out as well. And I thought, oh, no. What if I try out for the team and I, and I don't make it? What if I get cut? What are they going to think of me? And so you know what I did? I, I didn't go out to the tryout. And you know what happened? I didn't make the team. <laughs> right? Worthless. My worrying, it accomplished nothing. In fact, it, it kept me from maybe an opportunity. That's what Jesus is saying here. It does nothing for us. So the next time you're, you're worrying, it starts to creep in. Maybe ask yourself the question, what is my worrying actually accomplishing? What good is it actually doing? Jesus says it's worthless. It's worthless. That's the third thing we learn. Here's the fourth. If you want to fill it in. Celebrate how God has adorned you. Celebrate how God has adorned you. Verse 28. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. He's saying, God, God cares a ton about what the flowers outside look like. And let's be honest, God makes some beautiful flowers, does he not? And he's saying, even Solomon, which if you're not familiar with the Bible, Solomon was basically the, the Bill Gates of the Bible. I mean, the, the guy had crazy wealth. You know, his, his walk-in closet was bigger than our house, right? It just, he, he could do whatever he wanted, and yet not even Solomon could look as beautiful as the flowers of the field which God created, which are here for a season and gone. And what he says is, God, he, he clothes you so much more beautifully. He takes care of you. If you want to think about it like this, think of the gifts that God has given you. A, a church this size, I don't know, 100, 150 people here this morning, God has given you many, many gifts. Right, some of you, you're just mechanical in nature, right? When, when somebody in the congregation, their, their toilet breaks or their car doesn't start, you just jump into action and you break out your tool belt and you, go to t- and you just fix it. It's just how your mind works. God, God did that. You're the kind of guy that I call when my stuff breaks, Right? But that's a gift. God has knit you together that way. Some of you guys speak multiple languages and you walk into a room and you can talk to this person and you can understand what they're saying and that's a gift. Some of you guys, you, you, you're, you're musical in nature. I appreciate the worship team and you can harmonize and perfect pitch and, and people when you sing, they just, they get goosebumps. That's a way that God has adorned you. And as you think about all the ways that God has adorned you, I, I don't say that to, 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 to puff you up with self-esteem or something, that I just say because it's true. Right? God has richly adorned you. And here's why that's important, because if, if you remember that, if you go, wow, God really has given me so much, more than just food and clothing, 
it starts to kill worry because it's, it's near impossible to, to be anxious and to be thankful at the same time. Right? Anxiety, worry, it tends to look inward at us and, and what, how am I doing in my circumstance? But thankfulness, it's looking outward. It's saying, God, thank you. I don't deserve this, but, but, but you're such a generous God. Thank you for giving me that gift. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. It's a practice in thankfulness that it actually starts to put worry to death. And if you're a Christian this morning, man, God has, God has richly adorned you. You have been clothed with the most beautiful thing in the whole universe, the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at you, he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. God has richly adorned you. Celebrate that. That's the fourth reason. Here's the fifth. Trust that God knows your needs even better than you do. Verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I think one of the subtle lies that creeps in when, when we start to worry is that, is that we tell ourselves we're a victim of worry, but actually I think we tend to be more instigators than victims because we, we think that we know better than God. Right? The God who sees past, present, and future, we think, I know what I need better than he does. And we start to worry and we start to doubt him. Is he going to provide? Is he going to give me something that I actually need, that I want? It, has he forgotten about me? And we can walk through this one quickly because I think Paul answers it in Romans 5. He says that while we were sinners, while we were sinners, while we were helpless and needy, God died for us. Christ died for us. In other words, when we needed to be rescued, even before we knew we needed rescue, he rescued us. That's a picture of God knowing our needs even better than we do. God will provide for our needs. And friends, Jesus really is the proof. That's the fifth reason. Here's the sixth, and we'll, we'll close. Jesus says, know that no one day is overloaded with trouble. Friend, realize no, no day is overloaded with trouble. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, we, we, you and I, we, we shouldn't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because there's actually nothing we can do about tomorrow. He, what he's not saying is that we don't plan. Right? There's plenty of passages. The ant in the, in the Proverbs, he says, that stores up. Certainly be plan and think about you know, how God wants you, all that stuff. But he's saying we can't actually live tomorrow because we can only live today. But what happens is when we worry, we, we try to kind of hedge our bets and, and, and anticipate every possible outcome, and we, and we feel like we're actually living tomorrow, and yet we can't do anything about it, so we, we worry. It's kind of like this. If I, if I told you this morning, and I pray that this would never, ever happen, but imagine I told you that, that tomorrow you're going to wake up, and at some point between the, the waking hours, you will break a bone in your body. Let's even make it a little more extreme. You're going to break your femur. I think that's the strongest bone. John can tell me all those th things he mentioned. Right? The that's, that would hurt incredibly. It was guaranteed you were going to break your femur. Would you even get out of bed tomorrow? You'd probably be worried in bed. You're like, the bed's going to collapse. The ceiling's going to fall on me. I don't even know how it's going to I'm, I'm just, I'm anxious. And yet that's a picture of what you and I try to do when we worry. We try to just figure out what's coming next. And God says, we don't have grace for that. God hasn't given us the resources for that yet. Lamentations 3 says it this way, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And get this, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God has not given you day-old grace. It's like Panera Bread. Every time you show up, it's fresh. 
That's a picture of God's grace. It's always fresh. It's always relevant. It's always perfect for the need that you anticipate and have in the moment. And so we don't need to worry what's coming tomorrow. God will give us the grace for that when it comes. We really can trust him. He's been good to us. He's been faithful to us, and he will remain so. So just maybe by way of, of, of summary, right, Jesus, he, he starts, he says, he says what, what are our eyes fixed on? Have, have we been pursuing the right treasure? Or have our eyes, have our hearts strayed from Jesus? Which is why I think in verse 33, I think it's the only verse we didn't look at this morning, Jesus can say this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Friends, if you want to be more and more free from worry in life, Set your eyes on Jesus. Figure out a way to follow Jesus. Figure out maybe where your life has not been in accord and alignment with what Jesus has called you to live, or even just who he is, that you've lost sight that he really is the greatest treasure. You can't exhaust him. You're always learning about him. Realize that you can do that because actually Christ has sought you first. We can seek his kingdom. Why? Not because we're so smart. Not because we always wake up with a great, encouraging day, but because Jesus has sought us first. And friends, if Jesus has sought you and has promised to never leave us or forsake us, then we can respond to that and ask Jesus, would you, would you give me the strength for today? I don't know what's coming tomorrow, but you've been faithful to me and you won't stop now. Would you help me to believe that? Would you help me to look to you? Would you, would you transform my worry into a worship of you? And would you be pleased to do that this morning? Why don't we pray toward that end and, and we'll respond in song that we would... Respond to Jesus and his, his promises. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God who, who knows the beginning from the end, who, um, who God knows you know our needs better than we do. God, would you, would you humble those of us who need to be humbled? God, would you strengthen those of us who, who just feel weak? And God, I pray that you would help us this morning to set our eyes on you, to, to set our affections on you, God, to, to prioritize our life in such a way that says, what, what would Jesus have for me today? And God, would you show yourself to be so good to us even the rest of the morning and the rest of the day. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen.